on the official home of the Canucks. Dinky Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Hour two, Vic and the Boss. Craig McEwen here with uh, Chad Day as Vic Nazar starts his weekend a little early after doing some great work this week with Jamie Dodd, filling in on Rintoul and Sermon here on Sportsnet 650. And we really should, probably should have come back from break with the OK Blue Jays Let's Play Ball theme song, which I'm sure our next <laughs> guest, Josh Goldberg, uh, host of Jays Talks on 590 The Fan in, in Toronto, knows every word, every lyric, and probably sings that now every night going to bed that uh, baseball is back in the big spoke. Uh, Josh, uh, we'll get to trade deadline and all the moves and all that sort of stuff, but how excited are you that uh, after over 600 days, the Blue Jays are back in town? Very, very excited. Yeah, there, there's no question about it. Couldn't ask for a nicer day uh, here in Toronto. Beautiful blue sky, sunshine, not too hot. Roof will be open. So, yeah, obviously a lot of energy uh, in the city. And it would have been exciting regardless, right, of you know, the fact that it happened to be the trade deadline, even if the Jays didn't do anything substantial, but they obviously did. So that's just going to add to what's already been quite a buzz uh, for the first game at the Rogers Center in 670 days, which is just kind of crazy to think about, you know, how different our world is and obviously how different the Blue Jays' world is because they were losing 95 games uh, the last time they played games here in Toronto. Josh, let's talk about the trade deadline and and, and the Blue Jays making a, a pretty aggressive move going out and acquiring uh, Jose Barrios from the Minnesota Twins. And in doing so, they give up uh, two of their top five prospects in Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson. Did they pay too much in your mind in this acquisition? So I, on the surface, I'll say no. I guess like you, you'll always say time will tell. I was surprised that it, just in general, Craig Kimbrell went for a lot also, that uh, the return was as high as it was. But I just always say you know, like the Jays' window to win is it's not just this season, obviously. It's the next three or four years, and Jose Barrios gives you a better chance to win, certainly this year and next year. And Austin Martin, Simeon Woods-Richardson might end up being great prospects, but there was no way either of those two players was helping you next year, and who knows what would happen you know, beyond that. So to get a better fit for next year when you really have aspirations of making a, a real run at this thing with just the way that this team is built – and then it just it takes another domino off the board that you don't have to worry about because starting pitching was going to be a big-time need this offseason. You're going to have to go out there and address it via trade or via free agency because you know, is Robbie Ray going to be back? Is Stephen Mass going to be back? There are holes to fill, and now you already have that done, right? You don't have to go out there and get a front-of-the-rotation type of starter, whether it's trade or free agency. You already have that done, and it gives you a chance to familiarize yourself with a player like Barrios, who probably would be a free agent target after next season for you. So it gives you a little bit of a head start. Maybe you can familiarize yourself, and then he can really see what you're all about here as an organization and give you more of a consideration when he's talking about signing his next deal. But I'm always the advocate for trading prospects for impact talent because you never know what a prospect may or may not be. Systems are always conflicted and you never know prospect development is never linear 
whereas Jose Barrios is already a proven major league commodity, and I'd rather just implement that into what's already going on here than waiting for something that may never materialize. Yeah, and Josh, in this win-now kind of mentality, do you think it's realistic that the Jays can take a run at a wild-card spot? You know, they have the offense. They've addressed the bullpen a little bit here, too, lately as well. So is it realistic to think? Or in your mind, like you said, about next year and, you know, building for the future, not just the present, is that more realistic, the playoffs then? So I, I do think that there's a chance. Like, I think a lot of the projections have them around, like, a 25 to 30% chance. That's probably about right. You're talking about four and a half games with three teams to jump, and they've got 63 games left. It's definitely unlikely, but there's enough talent here and a forgiving schedule, and they're back at home, and that's going to have to matter, you would think, that it's definitely within the realm of possibility. But I think most people who are looking at the deadline – we're saying, you know what, if a rental is available and the price is not too prohibitive, okay, then you know, put yourself in the best position to make a run at it this year. But if you were going to part with significant assets in terms of prospects, then it had to be somebody who had control beyond this season. And that's really why Barrios fits so well, is because this isn't just a rental where you gave up something significant to take a real Hail Mary at making the playoffs. You've got 63 games, so you've got a handful of starts this year. Then you're going to get a full spring training and a full season of 30 to 35 starts, ideally, next season. So those are the kinds of trades that I think a lot of people were saying, okay, if you want to give up something significant for that, you're not really hurting your chances at all this year. You're not really doing anything but giving it a better chance this year. But it will really come into scope. Uh, when you have a full 162 next season and you have this player ready to go to make an impact from the jump. Josh, uh, the Blue Jays weren't the only team in the AL East that were busy on trade deadline day. And, and, and prior to trade deadline day, the Red Sox go out and get Kyle Schwarber. The Yankees, who uh, are kind of neck and neck in that wild card race with the Blue Jays, make two pretty sizable moves picking up Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, what, what were your thoughts on, on those two moves by, uh, by the Yankees? Well, definitely, you're not thrilled. Like if, if you are hoping <laughs> that the Blue Jays are going to be able to leapfrog teams and, and the Yankees aren't look, who are looking to do the same just have less of a gap to close, they're better. There's no question about it. The big issues for them was the left-handed bats in their lineup just weren't really there. Like Rugnet Odor has, has come on and, and been nice, but... These are two proven commodities, right? All-star level players. Rizzo won a World Series. They needed some first base help. They probably could have used a shortstop, but to get those two that really now balances out their lineup, that's a really long lineup, and they're going to hit a lot of baseballs hard and far. There's still probably too much swing and miss in there because Gallo strikes out a ton in addition to Stanton and Sanchez, and uh, even Judge strikes out probably uh, more than you'd like, but... There are, there are some real concerns about having to pitch to that lineup. I guess the, the big issues still are, is their rotation good enough? And I know that they added Andrew Heaney from the Angels uh, before 4 p.m. today, and he's not a bad option. But there's still some concern there. Kluber and Severino are hurt. Who knows what kind of impact, if any, they're going to make. And their bullpen's been a little bit better lately, but Chapman had a real rough stretch before kind of finding it again. And if the pitching just isn't going to be there, we've seen what's happened with the Blue Jays with a really good lineup. If you can't pitch and you can't prevent runs, then you're going to have some issues. So the Yankees are definitely better suited to score a lot of runs and are really balanced. 
But I still think that if they want to make it to the playoffs, uh, their pitching is going to have to be a lot better than it's been of late. Josh Goldberg, host of Jay's Talk on the Fan 590 in Toronto, joining us here on Pick and the Boss. Is it frustrating, uh, you know, not only covering the team, but for Jays fans, when you see that division and, and you constantly see the Yankees loading up and the Red Sox loading up and the Rays are good, you know, the Blue Jays have a, have a good ball club, but you're in this constant battle with these teams that aren't afraid to spend. And yes, our parent company has spent some money too on baseball, but is that a frustrating situation for the Jays? I know you can't control it, you can't change it, but every year you just look at it, man, I wish these guys would just stop throwing all this cash around and, and just get bad. Well, so it's interesting that coming into this season, a lot of people were just saying, oh, well, the Yankees are going to run away with the division. And like one, of, one or two of the Jays, Red Sox, or Rays might emerge and, and provide a threat. But I think most people, the consensus was certainly that the Yankees were not only the best team in the division, the best team in the American League. And just to, to illustrate your point of how crazy tough this division is and historically has been, is that it's not the Yankees, it's the Rays and the Red Sox who have just been trading body blows for the first 100 games of the season. So on a year where you know, the Jays, maybe there was an opportunity to, to push the Yankees or, or really be there in second place, two teams in the Rays and Red Sox who weren't necessarily expected to really be contending type teams have absolutely done that. And you know, with the, the format of the playoffs back down to you know, only the two wildcard teams instead of uh, the expansion that we saw last year, your pathway to making the playoffs is obviously a, a lot more narrow. But I think there's something to be said for just being pushed every year. You're, you can't be complacent. you got to try and win every single year. And even then it might not matter. But it is definitely frustrating that even in years where teams aren't expected to be all that great, you know, they're still contending. And the Jays just have to find a way to continue uh, putting a lot of talent on the field and just hoping that their talent is good enough to win a lot of games as opposed to the talent that the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays are putting out there. Josh, uh, the NL West is is quite the race, isn't it, with uh, San Fran, the Dodgers, and the Padres, and some of these massive moves that were made in the last 48 hours. You've got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers, Chris Bryant to San Francisco. San Fran leads that uh, division by, by three games over the Dodgers and five and a half on the Padres. When it's all said and done, who are you taking in that race? <laughs> so, I, I, honestly, I've been doubting the Giants all season, as I'm sure most people were, because, you know, the same way the Rays and Red Sox have exceeded expectations, the Giants have done that way more so. And they trade for Chris Bryant today, which was a great pickup, and, and, and obviously there's a lot of potential there. It would be foolish to bet against the Dodgers, right? I know that Bauer's been out of their rotation, but now they just replace him with Max Scherzer and to boot they got Trey Turner. So you look up and down their entire team, there's no hole. They, like, they should be the prohibitive favorite, again, to win the World Series. I know playoff baseball is unpredictable, but I'm, I'm still going to take the Dodgers. And I'll probably take the Giants to finish second and host the wild card game over the Padres. I honestly thought that the Padres, you know, they were linked to so many different pieces, right? They were linked to Scherzer, and then if they didn't get Scherzer, oh, well, of course they were going to get Jose Barrios, and then they didn't. And they made some moves, right? They got Daniel Hudson to, to help in the bullpen, and they picked up Jake Marisnik for some depth in the outfield. But compared to what their two rivals did in the division, that kind of comes up a little bit lame. So I would say that the Padres definitely have quite a battle to, uh, to not just 
you know, like not they'll make the playoffs, but to be advanced beyond the wild card game because the Giants are, are tough. They're not going to be an easy out. They pitch well. They play good defense, timely hitting, really good bullpen. They have all the recipes that you would want in a one-game playoff. And then if they can get into the, the format, uh, the best of five, and, and then hopefully win that, you can't rule them out. They're just uh, – I've ruled them out so many times, I'm done doing it. Uh, until they actually go out for the season, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Josh, great stuff. And, and before we let you go, I had the privilege of talking to Ben Wagner yesterday, and he was just absolutely pumped to be back in the chair and calling games. So I ask you, you know, a couple things. A – you know, what's the mood like in Toronto with baseball back? B, is it hard to get a ticket? And C, did you have to push someone out of the way to get a seat in the press box tonight? How is it all shaking down in Toronto for the Jays' return? So, yeah, obviously there's a, there's a ton of uh, juice and a ton of energy. Tickets were tough to get. Press box, I think they're keeping it like because of COVID restrictions. I think it's going to be like uh, kind of – Beat writers, for sure, are going to be down there who are covering the team on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I, like, I'll, I'll get there. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting there. I'm not going to be there uh, tonight, but I will be uh, you know, over the next couple of days, so I'm looking forward to that. And, yeah, I think it's just, especially to have baseball back on the radio, you know, it's just, there's just something unique. There's something romantic, I would say, to get you know, kind of mushy about it about baseball on the radio, right? You associate it with a lot of fond memories growing up. I know I do, uh, listening to games in the car with my dad. The cottage is obviously a big thing for uh, the radio baseball uh, on the dock. There's just something that sometimes even television, the way that a story can unfold on the radio if somebody you know, kind of describes all of the different sights and sounds at the ballpark, it will be nice to have that back for Blue Jays games. And I, I spoke to Ben, and I know he's very, very excited about it. And I think a lot of Blue Jays fans uh, have missed it, rightfully so, and are going to be very excited, especially with a long weekend here, uh, to have it back. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate it. Uh, great stuff, as always. And just a little education for you. Out here in the West, we call them cabins, not cottages. So we, <laughs> but we do listen to the Jays at the cabin. In Quebec, it's country house. Here, it's cottage. <laughs> There it's Kevin. You learn something new every day. Yeah, exactly. But hey, <laughs> you're spot on when you say baseball, sitting back. Nothing like sitting at the cabin, the cottage, uh, and listening to a ball game. Thanks so much, Josh, for doing it. Enjoy tonight, and uh, we will catch up with you sometime soon. Appreciate it, fellas. Josh Goldberg, the host of Jay's Talk on uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to hear, you know, baseball again on the radio the, the way it was meant to be and listen the, the pandemic has been really tough on everyone uh sportsnet made the decision to simulcast the tv and hey Bach and dan schulman uh did a great job calling the games but there's just a certain as josh said maybe romantic or you know sentimental uh, a way of, of listening to a ball game and the stories that are told, and Ben talked about it yesterday, Ben Wagner here on uh, Sportsnet 650. Chad, it, it is one of those, the theater of the mind and, and just letting yourself see it in your mind's eye as it's being called on the radio. To me, it doesn't. there's no better sport when it comes to broadcasting on this medium. You're so right in, in, in many senses there, Craig, because you just get so many good stories. You know, a lot of people complain about the pace of play in baseball. And, you know, at times it is frustrating how how long games draw on. But 
when you're listening to a radio play-by-play broadcast and you get the sights and well not the sights you hear the sounds of the ballpark and you and you hear someone just tell a story um you know in between pitches and in between the play it's 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 like no other sport you get so much content out of that one window um it, it's just awesome to see that uh the blue jays games will be back on the radio uh with uh, with an exclusive broadcast for the radio and I, and I think that's made a lot of people happy this week that are that are baseball fans in this country yeah and think of the baseball fans in toronto too that normalcy of of perhaps being one of the lucky ones to get to go to the ballpark, to, to see your favorite team, to, to have the the roof at Rogers Centre open and sunny and having a beer and, and just sitting in and enjoying a ball game live after seeing your team be away for, you know, almost two years since they've last played a game at home in Toronto and, and had to play 161 games on the road. And yes, they set up shot in Buffalo or Florida. It still wasn't Toronto. You didn't have the full fandom behind you. So that's got to be a neat experience as well for everyone tonight. Totally. And I mean, you know, hopefully things, you know, with the border, you know, get a little bit better because I know a lot of baseball fans here in BC love to head down to T-Mobile Park and, and catch a Mariners game in the summer that, you know, that quick hour and a half, two hour drive down to the Emerald city to, to catch a Mariners game, no matter who they're playing is, is, is something special. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to see that too. And, and we can't forget about our friends at the Vancouver Canadians and there's nothing like drinking an ice cold pint at uh, Nat Bailey stadium. C-Mac isn't there. No, it, it's, it's an experience that if you haven't done it, you should definitely do it. And one that, I miss just the people watching, the the sights, the sell, smells, the, the sounds of a ballpark. And, you know, it is one of those things where it's a game that moves at its own pace. And you can just kick back in the sun with your shades on. And to your point, Chad, have a nice ice-cold beer. And when it comes to doing that, there's no one better than our next guest here, just for the beer uh, host, Joe Leary, who I think kicks back, has a beer, and has his shades on like almost 24 hours a day as he's sitting around. Uh, <laughs> not even at the ballpark. <laughs> you know, it's purely for research purposes, man. If you've seen the beer industry, there's so much out there. i got to constantly do my work. you got to do my work. Hey, by the way, I just wanted to say, as a huge Jays fan, and I, I came by it honestly because I spent five years working in Toronto radio where I really got into having an MLB team in our town. I'm not, I'm not a bandwagon jumper by any means. It's not about the fact they're the only rep team from, from Canada. It's not about that. I legitimately got into baseball. But I will tell you, man, I'm so excited that my afternoon plan is to uh, enjoy the fact that after 670 games, they're back in town. But what I want to know, have you guys heard, are Buck and Tabby going to be in Rogers Center? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, I think so. I believe so. Okay, yes. because they were doing their show or their their broadcast remotely when the when the Jays were playing in Buffalo and and in Florida and that. So I'm just I'm just curious if it's back to the uh, the old team, the old way it was, because I'm I'm so excited. Yeah, it, as as far as I know, listen, and and Josh Goldberg was just on there, uh, and he talked about a uh, a smaller press box with some of the regular yeah. writers. But Ben Wagner was on yesterday saying he's looking forward to fist pumping the uh, security oh, guard yeah. he would see is going to the ballpark. Yeah, Joe, I think everything's pretty much back to normal, and that means uh, the the beer will be flowing as well there. And uh, I know that for you, uh, this is your research, as you mentioned, and. Yeah. Uh, this time around, it's Langley, an area that I'm familiar with that you're focusing in on with the show. Tell us a little bit about the, the beer market out this way and uh, how 
it's growing and, and, and getting even better and better each day. Well, I can tell you, Craig, that uh, this speaks to the current climate of the industry, and it speaks to the growth of the industry. I mean, I think I've told you, but we started the show in October of 2010, so we're coming up on 11 years of doing the, the beer radio show. And there was 53 breweries registered in the province of B.C. then, and we're now north of 200. The last I heard about 208, so the, the growth has been exponential. And virtually any area that has any sort of populace, probably is represented at least with a brewery if not two if you're in an area like langley which was you know trees and sticks 20 years ago when i was a kid going out to langley uh you know it's all developed to the point where there are now two distinct areas of langley and we're doing two back-to-back shows over the next couple the first of which is the city of langley and it's an area they know as the langley loop so we'll be uh, featuring farm country brewing which is our home base for the show uh, which airs sunday night at nine We'll feature Camp Beer Co., which, again, is all of part of what's called the Langley Loop. There's five roads brewing, and there's trading posts. And what's really cool is that they're all within a relatively short distance of each other. So, you know, it, in the case of uh, Camp and five roads and trading posts, it's it's a bit of a walk, but not, not much of one. Farm country is a, a little further away from where they are. But this speaks to just how big the area is growing, because our next show will be in what's called North Langley and, and a whole other bunch of, of breweries there. So, And the other thing to note is on this coming show, we have a feature now called Meet the Brewer of with Sean Phillips, who will be talking with Jack Bensley, who is the head brewer of Farm Country Brewing, and a cool little reacquaintance because we'll also be joined by Andrew Mercier, who is the MLA for the city of Langley and a beer fan himself. And it so turns out that Jack Bensley, now the brewer of Farm Country, which is Andrew's favorite brewery, used to be his math teacher back in high school. So it's uh, just kind of cool to see how people uh, reposition themselves and how small a world it is that we live in. Totally, Joe, and, and it's nice to talk to you on on this platform, uh, my friend. Uh, i got to ask you, you know, with with the show this weekend and, and focusing on Langley on those four breweries, just how, how big has the industry out in the Fraser Valley come in the last, uh, you know, five, ten years since you started the show? Well, it's it, it, there. There wasn't. There was Dead Frog Brewing, basically, and I believe they were further out. I think they were brewing in Aldergrove at the time, if I'm not mistaken. They were certainly further out there in the valley. Um, there wasn't, to be honest, Chad. There wasn't really a beer community. I mean, there was certainly breweries popping up, but but in uh, in recent times, I mean, when you've got two distinct different areas. Now, don't get me wrong. Lang- Langley is is a big area to begin with, but they've now sort of uh, divided themselves into two areas. When you've got an area like North Langley. You know, I was in Nanaimo a couple of years ago. We're doing shows, and there's an area of Nanaimo known as North Nanaimo. It just it just goes to show you some of these places that we thought, you know, were were sort sort of smaller cities, but the uh, suburban outliers have all of a sudden grown to the point where each has their own community. So again, I mean, you know, the city of Langley uh, can boast four great breweries, and the funny thing is, Chad, is that they tell us on the show that there's two more in the works. So. It's far from done, so we're probably talking by the end of this year, or certainly by the end of next year, you're probably looking at 10 Langley area breweries alone, and that's just Langley. So the, gr- the growth has been phenomenal. Uh, Joe, thanks so much. Appreciate you doing this. And, um, you know, shout out to Trading Post. Uh, they have a great setup in, in Fort Langley. And as you move north yeah. into to Langley into uh, McEwen country, 
uh, enjoy because mm-hmm. there's I, I know the the breweries you're going to be talking about next time around. We won't spoil it, but the there's some really good beers out there in this this part of the uh, woods. And and you know appreciate you telling us a little bit about what you've got coming up this weekend. And that uh, Langley City uh, loop sounds like it's uh, it's stumbling distance for me, anyways. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm going to have myself a beer, and can I just say, let's go Jays? <laughs> yeah, we won't let you sing the Blue Jays song, but yes, no. yes, go ahead, go Jays. Go. Okay, cheers, guys, thanks. Uh, there he is, thanks, Joe, Joe. Uh, Leary, uh, just for the beer. Uh, that show goes Sunday at 9 p.m. here on uh, Sportsnet 650. And, yeah, baseball, hockey, and, you know, it's time to talk a little bit football next here on Bick and the Boss is uh, John Clayton. From the Seahawks uh, down south, he covers them, uh, NFL host on 710 ESPN. He will join us and uh, give us the latest of what's going on at training camp for the team in the Northwest that people cheer for and love and no doubt drink a few beers when they watch them as well. You've got that and uh, a little bit more coming up here on Bick and the Boss on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. Craig McCune with Chad Day. Filling in for Bick Nazar, who I'm guessing, too, might be enjoying a beer or two himself uh, this afternoon, Chad. Hot out there, though, today in Vancouver. That, that heat reappears a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a big week uh, for the Canucks, a big week for us here at the station. And uh, I would say you might even deserve a beer at the end of this. Oh, I would hope so, Matt. You're right, but the big—I think the big question is, Hemac, is how are you going to beat this heat this weekend? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> stay inside of my basement, maybe. I don't know. It—I it, don't think it's supposed to last very long. I, I wonder no. too how the heat might be affecting things down the road in Seattle. Seahawks training camp is open. Uh, the Hawks uh, in the ultra competitive and tough NFC West, uh, maybe getting a, a, a bit of a break with uh, Acres going down with the Rams, but they've obviously improved with Matt Stafford. The Cards are a tough team to play. The uh, Niners should be better this year. They won't be as dinged up and injured. So it's our pleasure to head down to uh, the Emerald City to catch up with John Clayton, uh, Seahawks NFL host on 710 ESPN. Uh, and John, what what's your impression been so far as camp uh, rolls along in in Seattle as this uh, Seahawks team gets ready, as we said, to compete in in a very very tough division? Yeah, even though there's only been two practices, I think what you can see is an upgrade as far as the offense because I think with uh, Shane Waldron, he comes in and he brings in a faster paced offense. You can see it in the running game with the outside zone reads. You can see with Russell Wilson moving around the perimeter a little bit more, getting rid of the ball quicker. I think you can see the offensive line getting better with Gabe Jackson at guard. And so uh, that looks good. You look at the defense, and there's about a dozen guys competing for eight spots uh, uh, as far as the uh, you know a defensive end position. And so that looks good. And I think you just see a good team speed, a good camaraderie, and right now a very happy camp. John, you mentioned the new offensive scheme and, and, and new offensive coordinator there in Seattle. This this must be making Chris Carson a happy camper. Yeah, it really does. I mean, he talked a little bit, uh, I think it was yesterday, and uh, spoke about how much he liked it. I mean, particularly that you know he's able to get outside a little bit more, maybe not have to make the physical runs. He'll make it a physical run because, again, he has that Marshawn Lynch mentality. But, uh, you know, uh, they, they can get in the ball in the flat, catching it. And, again, it's going to be a little bit more two tight end offense. And so 
there's going to be a little bit of a mystery whether the play is going to be a running play, whether it's going to be a passing play. But overall, I think he looks good in the scheme. And then also I think you can see with the return of Rashad Penny that uh, he's down to 223 pounds, light as he's been since high school. And he was running fast, maybe as fast as he's ever been so far here since being drafted in the first round by Seattle. And then the sleeper in the mix is going to be Alex Collins. Collins, you know, former draft choice who had been cut, ended up going to Baltimore and almost gaining 1,000 yards after being cut, has come in. And he's been one of the sleepers in camp and the OTAs because he looks good. You know, DJ uh, Dallas, it looks like uh, he's still good catching the ball out of the backfield. Travis Homer's you know, not doing anything right now because he's on the PUP list. But overall, I think the backfield looks good, particularly if Penny can stay healthy. Uh, is Russ going to be cooking this year, John? And and I, I guess for us people, the 12s who are up here north of the border, we, we'd love the update if, if he's happy at least because there, there were – a lot of whispers, rumblings, rumors that he wasn't all that happy. But I would assume, and maybe wrongly, that with the changes that are made with the new offensive coordinator and some things, that that, that should please Russell Wilson, should it not? Yeah, he, he's pleased, but I would hope that everybody takes the uh, let Russ cook out of the vocabulary. Because what ended up happening is it ended up uh, you know, getting stalled, particularly in that second half of the season. You know, because you know, the let Russ cook thing had too many passes. I mean, last year they had a 60-40 ratio of pass to run, and that just doesn't work with Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and everything else. It leads to more interceptions. And, of course, you know the big stats for uh, Pete Carroll is win the turnover battle. Well, when you're letting Russ cook like that and throwing the ball more, I mean, you're now starting to lose the turnover battle. I think there are more interceptions than I think any year that he's been with this team. So in the end, I think – Everybody needs to take the let Russ cook out of the vocabulary and just let Russ play. John Clayton, our guest from 710 ESPN at down in Seattle, covers the Seattle Seahawks. And, and John, safety Jamal Adams uh, is still without uh, a contract extension. What are you hearing on, on that front at this point? I think it's going to get done maybe within a week or so. You know, certainly right now, he and Dwayne Brown, who also wants a contract extension, are still standing on the side. They'll go through the walkthroughs but not go on the field for plays, trying to save their bodies and try to get the deal done. But, you know, I'm sure that at this stage the Seahawks have offered $16 million, the most of any safety in the NFL history. So the highest right now is Justin Simmons, who got uh, $15.25 million a year from the Denver Broncos. But I think what will end up happening is they may have to go a little bit above 16 to get it done. But I think you know, Jamal has come in. He looks happy. I mean, he reported he's not holding out. And so even though he's not practicing, I think you can see that they're going to, you know, go ahead and get something done and then start to work on Dwayne Brown. It has to be kind of a one-two mix because, you know, Adams is going to get the most money. My guess on Dwayne is going to kind of be like the Andrew Whitworth contract extensions of the last couple of years where, you know, stay, it doesn't go up. It stays a little bit down because of their ages. And so, uh, you know, I, my guess it'll probably get done for you know, a little over $10 million or maybe a little less than $10 million a year. I don't know if it's going to be more than a one-year deal or a two-year deal, but I do anticipate that they're going to get something done. John, when it comes to Adams, is the difficulty in he's such a game-changer, uh, and I, I won't say revolutionize the position, but in a lot of ways a matchup nightmare and can do so many different things that in his mind, you know, he's not 
necessarily even looking to be paid as a as a safety. He's looking to be paid as that game changer, that 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 X factor, that that one of a kind, almost a unicorn, if you like. Yeah, but as long as he just want, doesn't want to be paid like a defensive pass rushing end or anything of that nature, then you know, then it's reasonable because again, it's like you can see with the nine and a half sacks that he had last year. Uh, you know, he did great, but then the other, and of course, particularly you know, chasing guys down. Uh, with his running ability and his playmaking ability, but also one of the problems that they have is that uh, you know he's he, he struggled in coverage last year. Now I know he had some injuries. In fact, right now, even if he signs the contract, he wouldn't be practicing because he had shoulder surgery and he also had a hand surgery. So you know, he's he's going to miss a little bit of time anyways. But I think that uh, as long as he's reasonable, this thing gets done. If it gets greedy, then it's not going to get done. Uh, John, just one more before we let you go here and really appreciate your time. Uh, size up the NFC West for us. I know it, it, it's hard because we just started camp and there's still lots of time before the things start for real in September. But I, I don't know that there's a tougher division in football. And when you look at it, it seems like every team has, has made improvements in, in different areas. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, again, this is the best uh, division in football. I mean, each team of the four have quarterbacks. Because then you're looking at, uh, you know, now you got Trey Lance coming into San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo, and you got Tyler, uh, you know, Tyler Kyler Murray down in Arizona, and Russell Wilson, and now you have Matthew Stafford upgrading the passing game for the Rams, uh, and you can also see the aggressiveness in this division. I mean, look at the trades that have been made. You know, Seattle trading for Jamal Adams. I mean, you have, uh, you know, Marcus Hudson going to the Arizona Cardinals. They signed J.J. Watt. You know, they, they pick up DeAndre Hopkins last year. Then you look at the Rams. I mean, you know, they've got Jalen Ramsey. they got Aaron Donald. You know, they've been, they've been aggressive. And then also, you look at San Francisco, they got Trent Williams, one of the best offensive linemen in the league. So it's like an aggressive division. Right now I see Seattle having the slight edge because the one thing, they've got the best quarterback in the division with Russell Wilson, and they were able to add to the roster. I think there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off with the Rams because you know, with the $42.2 million they have in Matthew Stafford's salary and the dead money for, uh, uh, for Cooper Cup, uh, not the Cooper Cup, but as far as uh, Jared Goff, you know, they had to lose four starters on defense, Gerald Everett at tight end. They, you know, they, they lose their starting center. They lose Matt, uh, Morgan Fox at defensive end. And so they suffered a lot of losses. And then on top of it, they lose their best running back uh, in Cam Akers. San Francisco, I think, right now is third because I think they will bounce back as long as they stay healthy. Last year they had over 150 missed starts because of injuries, and that set them back. Uh, Arizona, I think, is still on the rise. But what you worry about is that the, are they good enough with Cliff Kingsbury as coach? So right now they start camp. They're a couple of days into camp, and they've got nine guys on the COVID list. Yeah, lots of time, though, I guess, until the first snap of the season. But, uh, John, we really do appreciate you checking in, giving us the latest on the Seahawks. Obviously, a ton of uh, Seahawks fans up here north of the border. And uh, hopefully that border will open up soon, so we'll be able to get down there and see some Seahawks football uh, in the not-so-distant future. That sounds good. Thank you, John. John Clayton, NFL host on 710 ESPN, joining us here on Bick and the Boss, Greg McEwen and Chad Day filling in for a big Nazar and and yeah the the Seahawks you know it, it's funny Chad you know some years you can be in a division where you're the power and and you know all due respect to the Patriots they didn't have the toughest teams in their division always they were excellent football club obviously but 
with the Seahawks this year, last year, and the past couple of years, there's some really stiff competition there. And each of these teams keeps loading up. It's almost like it's an arms race. One team does something, another team counters with something else. And at the end of the day, it'll be extremely difficult to uh, come out on top in this division. There's no question about it. And I think, uh, you know, John talked about, you know, the strengths of, of each of the teams in the division. You do have to give the Seahawks the edge with Russell Wilson just being uh, the, the top quarterback. You know, Matt Stafford is a is a nice ad in, in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, you, you look further down, uh, you know, in San Fran and, and Arizona and they're and they're getting there. You know, Arizona, you know, having uh, the youngest of the quarterbacks, but. I think for me, when it comes down to it, is is what they've done on defense. Sure, the you know the 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 secondary is a need may need a little bit of work. Although uh, you know Jamal Adams leading the charge there is is going to be key for them. But I think just overall, when you look uh, on both sides of the football, the Seahawks are are going to be the team to beat in that division, in my mind. Well, let's. Uh end the show here as we as we get closer to the people show with uh dan and and randy Passat gets a a day off uh this week let's end the show with a little more canucks talk here and uh earlier today on uh, halford and bruff uh, the newest goalie for the team yaro halak uh, joined uh the boys and and they asked him you know what it's like to be ready to play what it's like to sit there as a backup and 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 be, you know, very tight mentally, strong, able to to back up a player like Thatcher Demko. Because in reality, Halak's probably only going to play thirty games maximum. Uh, I would say even less than that. So, uh, Halford Bruff talked to Yarrow and said, "Hey, what does it take to be a backup in this league?" Uh, you know, I I think as you get older, I think uh, you don't really think about it too much. You know, when you're told to play, you you play. Uh, when you sit on a bench, you, you just wait for your chance. But I think it's more more to stay uh, stay sharp, stay focused, game ready. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, like practices and games, uh, it's a different thing. And uh, you know, in practice, you do a lot of shots and and uh, a lot of. Uh, reps but in a game sometimes you go five ten minutes without without a shot so kind of you know kind of staying mentally mentally fresh ready for for anything that's i think that's the biggest challenge as a number two goalie yeah and i think chad the, the biggest challenge here last year was uh when it came to brayden holtby we weren't sure he was the number two goalie there seemed to be a bit of a competition to start the year and holtby not used to you know being someone's caddy I I believe it weared on him. I, I don't know that we saw the best of Braden Holtby, maybe better towards the end of the year, but that was tough for him. But in Yaro Halak's case, uh, being a backup, knowing what it takes, knowing how to handle that situation and allowing the player in front of you to get the lion's share of the work, you know, I believe it's going to be a better duo this year with him and Thatcher Demko than it was last year with Demko and uh, the situation we had here with the Canucks as well. Yeah, no no. Definitely. And I think, you know, for Braden Holtby, first and foremost, you know, you come to a new city in the middle of a pandemic, you're locked down for the most part, you're only going to the rink and back that that wears on you, you know, plus you're you're in competition, then the team gets COVID. So 
that that to me is tough. I think Yaroslav Halak is is more built at this stage in his career to be the backup. You know, he sounded very calm, cool, and collected, didn't he, with Halford and Bruff this morning on Sportsnet 650. And and he's just had experience in the past couple of years coming off the bench, you know, being ready in that position when he's called upon uh, to make a start or or to come in midway through a game. And he's proven throughout his career that he's that he's been capable to shoulder a load. So I, I think it, it was a good move for the Canucks to bring in a, a, a veteran backup like Yaroslav Halak. And uh, we can say what we want about the salary cap implications that come with that, but you do need a solid number two, and, and the Vancouver Canucks seem to have found that uh, early on here with uh, Yaroslav Halak signing. Yeah, and, and really, the, you know, you don't hope anything happens to any player, but if there's a, a, a problem or an issue with Demko, you know, Chad, Halak is someone who could play a few more games than what he has. He's up there in age, and it remains to be seen how he'll handle the travel on the West Coast. But bottom line, very capable and can still win you hockey games. And John Garrett was on uh, yesterday and just basically said, hey, if, if your backup can be 500, uh, that's a, a really good thing for your hockey team. Yeah, no question. You know, Thatcher Demko is going to shoulder the load. And what we've seen of him, you know, since the, the bubble in Edmonton is that he's been able to you know, steal games and, and he can be that game breaking goalie. And, and it's going to be interesting to see over the course of a, a full season, you know, for him to do that. He, he struggled a little bit early on in the season. So did Braden Holpe, but I, I thought the second half, he, he really proved his own and being able to rely on that second guy is just, just so important. You know, you've got to have a strong number one. I think, you know, you look to Montreal, you, you've got Carey Price, you know, one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League between the pipes there. And, and who's their number two? Jake Allen, a guy who could be a number one goalie in, in most markets. So for Vancouver, I think this is the perfect situation uh, going into uh, next season, having, having a guy like Jarl Halak be your number two. So you've had some time to digest it. The Canucks have an extremely busy seven days. You know, it started last Friday. They, they make a move at the uh, draft and, and bring in OEL and Garland. Then, you know, they, they do their thing on free agency. So I'll, I'll ask you as we get ready for the weekend here, now that you've had some time to look at it, think it over, as Jim, Roth, uh, Jim Benning has turned this roster over, uh, what are your opinions of, of where they're at and how much better or are they better than what they were last week at this time? Well, I think that they're definitely better, especially up front. You know, you, you go out and get Jason Dickinson. You go out and get Connor Garland in the Oliver ekman Larson trade. And, and your, your top nine is, is just far and away better. Not to mention some of the depth signings, you know that that they that they have made uh, for for this team in general. Uh, it's going to push and have that internal competition. I think you know where the jury is going to be out for a long time in this market is on defense. You know, it wasn't a good defensive core last year. Oliver Ekman Larson is a is an upgrade over Alexander Edler. You you bring Travis Hamonic back on a two-year deal at three million bucks. I think Tucker Pullman is is a, a big unknown, and I, I want to see him play more. I know a lot of people 
you know, either really like it or they or they can't stand it. But, you know, it's two and a half million bucks over four years. I, I, I think people spend too much time worrying about term and free agency. What do you expect if you if you want a player and, and it seems like the the pro scouting staff of the Vancouver Canucks recognize this player as a guy that they like and they wanted? They communicated that to general manager Jim Benning, and they went out and got him. You, you have to overpay in free agency, whether it's you know in salary or or term. And in this case, it's it's term. You know the the average salary in the the NHL CMAC is two and a half million bucks, and and that's what you know Tucker Pullman's going to get. Would you like uh, you know a, a lower ticket? Sure, but they've got guys that they that they've picked up. Brad Hunt from Maple Ridge, you know Luke Shen at eight hundred and eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars respectively. That can you know bolster that depth. So I, I'm not a hundred percent sold on the defense. I, I do think it will be better than it was last year. But uh, you know let let's see some games. Let's get through the summer and 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 start judging this thing once we once we see some meaningful hockey. Yeah, and the X factor in all this for me, it's going to take some time. The roster doesn't change over like this. You, you need to build the chemistry. But the, the X factor in all this is probably the coaching staff with uh, Shaw and the fact that they're going to have a normal training camp this year, which they didn't have last season. Totally, and nobody's really talked about Bradshaw. He's done some wonderful things uh, in this league as a, as more of a defensive specialist. So I'm I'm excited to see what he brings to the table alongside Nolan Baumgartner on Travis Green's staff and 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 what they're able to accomplish from a defensive perspective there there's no no doubt in my mind that and and in most people's mind that this team needed to improve defensively it has not been a good defensive hockey hockey club over the past couple seasons you know you go out uh, up front and you get a a strong uh centerman in, in Jason Dickinson to to play on your third line, Brandon Sutter on your fourth line for one point one two five million is a steal. Let's just hope he stays healthy and 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 can contribute there. And and let's see what these new guys bring to the mix uh, on on defense, C-Mac. And 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 there's no question that you know Bradshaw could have a, a really big effect on this hockey club. Well. Chad, enjoy your long weekend. I hope Canuck fans enjoy their long weekend as well. Whether you like what Jim Benning's done, whether you don't, there'll be time to debate and talk about this much, much more next week. So appreciate you doing this, filling in for Beck. Great job. Thank you, C-Mac. Enjoy your weekend as well. And, uh, you know, get some rest. Get some rest. You've had a, you've had a, had a busy week with free agency and the draft and everything else. Yeah, we, I will get some rest. I might follow Joe's <laughs> advice and get a beer or two or three or four. Uh, Absolutely. Lots more still to come here on uh, your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Next up, it is the People Show with uh, Dan Riccio and Randeep Janda. Sad is, is taking a day off, but uh, Dan and Randeep are here to entertain, enlighten, and inform. And, and on the big guest list uh couple of former NHL players are your headliners. Tyson Nash will be joining as he calls in from Arizona, works Coyotes broadcast. And one of my favorites, this show's favorites, one of Vancouver's favorites, Yannick Hansen will also be along to uh, talk some Canucks hockey as well. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you all have a safe and enjoyable uh, holiday weekend. Uh, that's a wrap for Bick and the Boss here in the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.